Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. I am Sean Windsor, a columnist at the, at the Free Press, of course. He is Carlos Menares, a columnist, feature writer, predictor, speculator, uh, muse. What else, Carlos? Malcontent? Sean Windsor Foil. Sean Windsor Foil. Yes, uh, I'm glad you're uh, with us this week. You've been a little... Uh, were you there, Were you with us last week? I don't remember. You were a little... Somnolent, a little sleepy. Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I was on the couch. You had to, you had to, you know, like pick apart my uh, my opinions and my thoughts. So uh, we have to get back to that, Sean. Yeah, we do, and we're going to do that later in the show. Um, we'll get you back on the couch. We'll probably have to talk about the Lions, the team that tortures you and millions of other people, like no other franchise, uh, no other team, rather in our state. I would, uh, I would say, I don't even think it's close. We'll get to that before we do. We'll uh, we're gonna have a special, another special guest in Kathy Kulishevsky, who helps run the Free Press Free Film Festival. She's a longtime uh, photo editor at the Free Press. Has worn uh, uh, lots of hats, had many roles. Very very talented. We're gonna talk to her about the festival that's gonna start next week, and then uh, I guess we're gonna talk about Jim Harbaugh because we always have to talk about Jim Harbaugh, right? Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a rule, you know. So uh, it, it is a rule. It's it's uh, it's it's part of the one hundred and one. I think of the free press. If you work in sports, you gotta <laughs> yeah, you gotta talk about Jim Harbaugh. And then we'll finish up, of course, with our favorite things. I, I still can't go over the fact that Carlos has one, but he does. And uh, I'm waited. Uh, I'm gonna wait with bated breath to see what that is. But seriously, let's get uh, let's get back to Harbaugh for a second. You, I, ha- well, I have a, I have a quick question for you. Sean. Okay, go ahead. But, you know, you wrote about Harbaugh this week, but you didn't write about food this week. So I just want to make sure, are you okay? Because I'm kind of worried if you blink if you need help or if you need sustenance or something. No, no, no. I've got a, I've got a cooking magazine uh, as we speak. Right, what's well, not right in front of me, off to my side, about uh, various uh, foods from from the Far East, Thailand, Vietnam, China. Uh, so you know, so that'll that'll kind of keep me going. Is that all right? Oh wow! And wow. I promise, yes. I'm, I'm not going to look at it or pay attention to it during this. Hopefully, you're going to keep me riveted enough can i call you a foodie do you qualify as a foodie would you say i I don't know i don't i'm a a short order cook and i like you're a foodie i'm a short order cook and i like to eat a little bit so okay do do you do you know what sous vide means i do but that doesn't mean i have a you're uh, you're a foodie but i don't have one like a friend of ours who covers the lines justin rogers who's always posting pictures on his instagram account of uh, account of his sous vide dishes you know it's just for those of you that don't know, and I don't want to bore you with all this, you, you basically wrap it in plastic and put it in boiling water, let a low temperature, and let something cook for a while. And the fancy name is sous vide. So there. That's just Justin's a wannabe hipster, that's why. But but you and I are foodies. Let's just embrace it. Embrace the title no, I'm of the not label. A foodie, man. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on, dude. I had I had uh, French fries for lunch. Not that anybody gives a, a hoot about that. But anyway, let's 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 get to Jim Harbaugh. You you picked it. You wanted to talk about him. What's on your mind? Come on, man. All right. Here so here's my question, right? They're they're starting off, you know, really impressive. First two games, uh, they're back in the top twenty-five. Is this is is Jim Harbaugh on the road to redemption? With so many questions after last season, the last couple of the years. I mean, I was looking at the schedule, Sean. Michigan can start seven and zero. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think it's likely. What does this mean for Jim Harbaugh if he has this kind of a start? Well, seven and okay. So is he going to beat Wisconsin? Because I think Wisconsin's in that stretch, right? Who else is in that stretch? Is Michigan? Yes. Is Michigan State? So they, no, Nebraska's okay. after Wisconsin, but that won't that won't count. Right at, at Nebraska, and then home against North, Northwestern. Uh, you know, I think it's very possible. Don't I, you? I actually I actually do. I think Wisconsin's a little bit down this year. Um, yeah, for sure. If if they get the seven and zero, oh, 
I don't know, though. Michigan's fan base is so tortured. Even after this 2-0 start, Carlos, because they've run the ball so much. Excuse me, right? <laughs> they're they're, they're hand-wringing and uh, worrying about the lack of a passing game because I think they threw for, what, a combined 40, 50 yards. I don't remember the exact figure on Saturday night when they beat Washington. They ran for almost 350. And, uh, you know, so the, the fan base just doesn't, they don't know what to do just yet, right? So they're, they they need something to worry about. And, I mean, they haven't <laughs> been their, their, their own – they haven't been the program that they think they've been in a long, long time. So, But I, I, redemption, look, if 7-0 and and then uh, they beat Michigan State and hang around Ohio State, absolutely. He'll – I think people will start uh, having a little bit more hope. What do you think? I think that – I mean, I mean, obviously they're 2-0, right? They, okay, so they beat in Western Michigan. They beat in Washington – you know, very convincingly, uh, they're going to beat Northern Illinois and Rutgers. They're going to be 4-0, for sure, right? And that, these are all home games that's going to happen. I think that as much as, you know, Michigan fan out there is hand-wringing over, everything's not perfect, you know, in Ann Arbor, um, you know, I think that you, everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon. I mean, you, you've you been on the bandwagon. You're, you're the, you're Jim Harbaugh's, you know, you're shotgun driver for Jim Harbaugh on the bandwagon. But... Uh, everybody else is going to jump on Sean. I think it's I, you can't not you can't help it, right? Four no, and they're going to be convincing wins. I think that you know we're going to have a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement we haven't seen in Ann Arbor in a long time, at least in several years. No, for sure. I don't know if I'm riding the shotgun with him. I, look, he's a good coach. I mean, his resume proves that he's a good coach. He should he struggled here. He he was good the first couple of years, and then and they've had some issues, you know. And I know there are a lot of fo- fans uh, that that love that school, love that program that are done with him for sure but that's the problem he's not he's not paid to be a good coach he's paid to be a great coach or at least he used to be paid or he was brought here to be a great coach and restore you know big 10 championship after big 10 championship and win a national title i mean the expectations were so high for him you know but i think this i mean i'm just saying it's the it could be the start of the road to redemption for harbaugh you know yeah will they be Michigan State at Michigan State. That's a whole nother question. What's going to happen with Ohio State? Who knows? But at least with the with the pretty strong start, that's going to help a lot, don't you think? I mean, uh, people will be able to point back to this, and the run game is amazing and everything. No, absolutely. I mean, they got to beat Wisconsin. They, 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 they have beaten them a couple of times, but they got trucked by them last year. I think it was here in Ann Arbor. I was at, I was at the game. I want to say it was a night game. And it's on the road this year. It's in Madison. Again, I you know, I don't know. If Wisconsin's quite as good, but they're always solid, but they absolutely have to beat them. It would help a lot if they could beat Penn State. I think that's later in November. So he's got to win some of those games. And you're right, he was he he was brought in to do a job that he has not done. But you know how it is, the psychology of these things, right? So he comes in, he's good for a bit, then they slip, and then people get frustrated, and then they want him gone, and then they sort of resign themselves to the fact that Michigan's not going to fire him, at least not quite yet. So he's here. So any kind of success now might feel a little bit differently than it, you know, a couple of few years ago if he'd started off, right? When the, the expectation was a little bit different. So I, if if they have some success this year, and then he can go recruit because that that recruiting has fallen off a little bit. If he can, if he can go recruit, then maybe people will have hope again. But I I don't know that people are ever going to look at him unless he goes out and wins, gets the college football playoff and wins a Big Ten and beats Ohio State, they're not going to look at him like they did when he was brought in seven years ago. That's for sure. 
it will take a lot to yeah to change the narrative. Now let me ask you. You know you were at his press conference on Monday. You wrote a column about that and and uh, you know mentioned about how much he enjoyed the vibe and the, the you know the oral sensory moment and the fans coming back and all that stuff. Uh, really cool. What's the vibe you get from him? Does he seem a little bit more at ease with this? He, d- he does. You know, really good start. Okay. He does. And by the way, he was in khakis again yesterday for those that are, uh, <laughs> for those that are on pins and needles. And, and yeah, because he's been in blue pants. I guess you could say they were khakis. <laughs> also, just a, a, a navy. Is khaki a color or a style? Well, I, I, to me, it's both. I mean, we should probably look that up. I think it's a color. But, um, but uh, you know, Dockers, or excuse me, uh, yeah, was it Dockers? God, not that I would. Yeah, he had, a, he had a deal. I would never be caught dead in Dockers. I'm sorry. I'm not judging. <laughs> They're just not for me. I don't like shorts either, Carlos. I got my little, you know. I'm comfortable covering up. If I could wear a shawl, I should start wearing a shawl. <laughs> Is it just straight Lululemons for you, Sean? Oh no, yeah, yeah, right. That's 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 where I shop. No, I think uh, he does seem a little bit more like he's enjoying himself a little bit more. Like he he just seemed tortured, and maybe that's part of who he is anyway, and the way he kind of drives himself. Mm-hmm. But he does seem a touch more at ease. And and yesterday he was talking about the crowd and how it it stretched around the end zone. I think he got the wrong end of the end zone, by the way. He was saying it was the south-southwest. I think it's the north-northwest. And I think a couple of readers picked up on that. But in any case, when he was talking about that, he said the student section was, quote, kind of creeping around, and it looked like it was widening. And so when I asked him about it, the SID, Dave Abloff, the sports information director for football for, for Michigan, sort of interjected and said, no, 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 the student section is, is demarcated, and it's not spillover. And I said, well, I said, Jim, you were saying it was creeping around. He said, well, it looked like that to me. So maybe that was just a happy accident. Uh, as I wrote, I think it was the, the fact that it was a night game, the, the, the maze out, so everybody's – the whole crowd, 109,000 people, except for a few Seattle Washington fans, were in that yellow. So maybe it was that, the, the reconvening. But, but what was really interesting to me was he said he took his headphones off a few times during the game just to soak it in and say, you know, this isn't a bad – place to be a bad place to a, a bad way to make a living right and and i like i like that did, did that surprise you that in that moment in that intensity he would take two three seconds to 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 soak that in absolutely i mean for for a college football coach to have a moment of introspection uh, and maybe it's happened twice in the history of the sport i mean that's incredible you know obviously they were winning handily and everything but but that's amazing when i read that quote in your in your column about how it's wrapping around creeping toward the 50 yard line and growing I'm like this is poetic this is jim harbaugh like i can't believe this so i i know and and when i it, so when he mentioned that he did, he wasn't asked about that he just brought that up so then i asked him about it later because I was fascinated by that a little bit, and that's when he mentioned the headphones. And when he said the headphones, I thought, you know, I, I, I want to write about that because I had been thinking already about just the and, – and we've talked about this the last few weeks, and I don't want to keep writing about it because we're, we're starting to get back to normal at least somewhat. But I've been thinking about this noise, and then I was thinking about the, the, the U.S. Open, and I know tennis is not part of the the main sort of stream. But, you know, the, the, the major winners aren't gracing the cover of Sports Illustrated like they did when we were kids, right, and when we were – even in our twenties, it's it's not John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors, and it, it it hadn't captured the American public, but but it's still you know there's still some superstar players in that sport all over the world, and and in any case, when when Novak Djokovic, who's the best player in the sport, lost Sunday night and got the kind of love and, and ovation from the fans he'd been waiting for his whole career because he's always been the villain, and it made him break down right on the court during the last changeover. I just thought I called up our editor Kirkland Crawford 
who uh, who helps produce this show, by the way, along with Ted Davis. I think I forgot to mention Ted. Sorry, Ted. Not that you're going to say anything <laughs> anyway. You're just going to keep dissing us. But, but Carlos, r- r- real quickly, I call up Kirk and I said, I know this sounds crazy, um, but I have this idea. Jim Harbaugh removed his headphones to listen to the noise, and Novak Djokovic has been waiting for a certain kind of noise all his career, finally got it. I'm going to combine the two and write a column about it. It was, you know, it was kind of a silly thing to do, but I, it just really struck me. That, that my friends, uh, in the journalism business is known as a high wire act. You're, you're combining men's tennis or ten, pro tennis and Jim Harbaugh. That's just a, that's a explosive combination that I know you can ever like recreate again. So kudos to you, Sean, for doing that. It was a really good column. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and I, and, and I will say this, you know, as, as touching of a moment as it was for, for Djokovic, I've always liked Djokovic because he is a villain, because he's explosive, he's angry, he breaks rackets. I mean, he got disqualified last year for hitting a linesman with a ball. I mean, he did. It's he did. like, I love that. I love how, you know, I, I love that he's not, you know, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, the clean cut, you know, Rolex spokesman or whatever. You know, I like that. And tennis needs villains because that's what we needed Borg and McEnroe and Connors and McEnroe and all that stuff, even Agassi and, and Sampras going back and forth, you know, that's what tennis thrives on. Um, um, so I, I hope he's it was a nice touching human moment um but I hope that he gets back to his roots of you know uh being feisty on the court because it, it's fun to watch no it is and it's funny you say that and I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole with tennis here I know there's some tennis fans still out there but but Djokovic is all you know like you said Federer is, is arguably the, the, you know the most graceful beautiful artistic player in the history of the sport Nadal is maybe not the most beloved because of Federer, but but he's got that that purity and that that relentlessness. It it helps that he was a sort of a heartthrob when he was younger. Remember, and and the way he attacks and plays and people could relate to that. And then Djokovic comes along and messes all that up. Like these are the two chosen ones for the last twenty years, and he's gotten in the way of that. And um and that's part of the tension of that. But 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 to have him have that moment was was really something and i don't know if you saw the quote and this is just true it's amazing when you see something like this because i think it's just real and we forget about this when we write and sometimes we forget this as fans he actually said that getting that ovation and hearing that and you could see him almost heaving when he was uh on the chair during the last changeover for the last game before he lost he said that that in its own way felt as rewarding and as special as winning a 21st slam which would give him more than any other men's tennis player ever to equate those two things that just tells you, right? Yes, they're incredible athletes. These people we write about and love to watch and cover, but they're also, uh, you know, people. And, and you know, that's the thing that's 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 interesting is that you know the way he plays and his emotions and everything. The same way with McEnroe, you know, it, it is who they are, you know. And unfortunately, tennis is a very country clubby sport and they want you to do things the right way they don't want they like emotion but not too much emotion or the right emotion so i think he's always been kind of a victim of just you know his own personality and that's hard that's hard because you know as you know sean different things bring elite competitors to their to the height of their best abilities sometimes it's anger sometimes it's frustration sometimes it's you know whatever it is and for him this has obviously worked um but for the fans to you know finally see a moment of vulnerability from him and then embrace that it's nice but i hope it doesn't change kind of he doesn't feel he has to change for the fans 
because I want him to keep winning. He's going to get his 21st Grand Slam. I mean, that's going to happen. He, he, he will, and, and I don't think he's going to change. It just, it just Again, though, it just reminds you that on some level, most of us, maybe all of us, would just want to be loved, right? I mean, you know, you, you learn as a child a lot of times, uh, you, your parents or your mentors or whoever your teachers say, don't worry about being liked, do your thing and all that. We, we, we deal with that as writers, as columnists. As a, when you have an opinion, you can't, to some degree, worry about that. And there's a lot of truth in that. But I still think it's a little bit different from wanting to be loved on some level. And, yes, he embraced that, but, but he's heard the crowds cheer for his opponent almost every time he plays, maybe not except for maybe in his home country in, in Serbia. And, and that, at some point, starts to wear on your soul. And I was the reason I combined Harbaugh, to get back to Harbaugh real quick to wrap this up, the reason I combined Harbaugh with that was because when he was talking about the noise of the stadium, a few minutes before, he also said, yeah, I've heard the noise about how we're running too much. <laughs> and he, was, he wasn't exasperated, right? But it was, the, yeah, I've heard the noise, a different kind of noise, criticism. Like, you know, it's never going to be good enough and all that. And he didn't go, he, did, he didn't stay there, but you could hear it in his voice. He's like, oh, God, we're winning, right? He didn't say this, but it was implied. We're winning. We just, we, we've got a, a, the best offensive line we've had in a while. And you guys are worried about us throwing the damn ball down the field? <laughs> Right now, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. So that's a different kind of noise. But uh, yeah, don't, don't you think, Carlos? On some level, you just you want some acceptance. Yeah, and I think what you're what you're really saying, Sean, is Jim Harbaugh took off his headphones so that he could be beloved and embraced like Brady Hoke. So that's that's really where he's going with this whole. Let me take the headphones off and I'll be like Brady. I think that's uh, yeah. Is that I, is that I, it? You know, I, I think that's it. I mean, what else are we going to say? What, now we're saying we're bringing in Brady Hoke. Uh, listen, we'll, we'll have plenty of time this fall to talk about Harbaugh, right? I mean, it's like you said, it's in the contract. Yes. Yeah, it's in the free press contract. So, look, we're going to be right back with Kathy Kilashevsky to talk about the Free Film Festival. She doesn't know this. We're also going to put her on the spot, and, and we're going to talk about, since this is a sports podcast, Carlos, we're going to make her talk about a few sports films. Maybe at least she has one favorite, and you can give me yours too. We'll be right back. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast on the line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts, and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to the Free Press Sports Show. You know, Carlos, I, I got through the first section and I got the title right. And I've got it written down on a placard here. But I, you know what? I, I don't care. I, 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 feel I fulfilled my contractual obligation. I said what the marketing people wanted. And now I think I can say what I want. Do you think that's fair? I think you need therapy, Sean. We have to get past this issue. It's just, it's weighing you down, man. I, I feel bad for you. Yeah, yeah. We, we got to move past it somehow. 
All right. Well, we're going to get to your therapy in the next section with Carlos on the couch, of course. But right now we're going to bring in Kathy Kulishevsky. Um, I don't even know what to say about her. She she uh, is in charge of all things photo, video, digital at the Free Press and has been for 30 or 40 years. I actually met her. Well, maybe I met her in the newsroom, but I, I didn't get to know her until we were on a Final Four trip together, I think, in St. Louis. Right, Kathy? Was it Final Four or was it World Series? Oh, maybe, maybe it w- I thought it was the Final Four. I thought it was the Michigan State uh, when they were in the Final Four in two thousand four. But in any case, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far down that. But uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, I know I know we're going to talk about the Freep Film Festival, which is coming up next week, and your role in that, which is uh, considerable. But first, um, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here, since you are you love movies, you love film, you you do this for a living, and since this is nominally a sports podcast at least in part uh i wondered if you had any favorite sports movies and why if i had any favorite sports movies and why oh geez help her out carlos why are you doing this to poor kathy why <laughs> well i don't know i i just thought you know she loves sports i know much i know much she loves the tigers and the wings she's like you carlos she didn't like basketball <laughs> i will say that i and and you know i'm a little biased because it was a we world premiered the film but the russian five uh, about the Red Wings and uh, the dynamic five uh, Russian hockey players that made that team go on to win the Stanley Cup in in 1997 uh, was is a is a fan favorite of lots of Metro Detroiters, including myself. I was there the night that the Wings uh, won the Cup after 42 year drought. So that one's particularly special to me, to say the least. Have you seen that piece by or seen that uh, film by the way, Carlos? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's I believe based on Keith Gabe's book, right? Former uh, former Free Press Red Wings uh, beat writer, um, or at least he had something to do with writing the the screenplay, I suppose. But uh, yeah, fantastic. I mean, I love hockey, and uh, you know, if you ask me, Sean, you know, the movie that my favorite sports movie, Slapshot. I mean, classic Paul Newman, minor league hockey. Just you know, it's just just a great you know. Fun romp through uh, through the ridiculous era of the seventies and eighties of hockey. It was it was just so much fun. I always like the hustler with uh, Paul Newman. Wait 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 wait. That, that, come on, that's not a sports <laughs> movie. You don't consider pool a sport? Come like, on, man. No, anything like as Michael Rosenberg once said, anything you can do while you smoke is not a sport. So no. <laughs> really? So golf and baseball are sports? Baseball? You can't. You Keith can't. Keith Hernandez, pitch. the former Mitch first, first no, no. baseman, used to used to smoke in the dugout. No, no, no. Why you're competing? Not, not, not in the dugout. Oh, come on, dude. You've you've taken a drag with a two iron in your hand. I know you have. <laughs> no. At least, or you're reading a putt. I, you know what? I don't know if I'd consider golf like the truest sport that okay. there is. I mean, think about some of the the body shapes out there, some of the the people playing okay. it. You know. All right, enough of this. Enough of this nonsense. So, so Kathy, um, before we talk about next week's show and, and some of the highlights, how did this how did this come to be? How did you uh, develop and and uh, and put together the free film festival? Well, we're going into our ninth year, I think. I kind of the twenty twenty is the lost year, so I've lost count. I believe it's the ninth year. But back in two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, Steve Byrne, who was then the arts and entertainment editor came to me and said, you know, hey, we're we're doing video and, and small short documentaries here at the Free Press and there's a bunch of films being made about Detroit or by Detroiters. Wouldn't it be cool if we brought them all together 
into a, like a film series or a film festival and 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 yes that would be cool and so we set about kind of figuring out how to how to put on an event like this uh, we volunteered at like the Traverse City Film Festival to to see how the sausage was made and you know uh, started reaching out to filmmakers and distributors and people in the film festival world and first year was 12 films um, really small at a couple of venues and you know but pre-pandemic I think our last film festival was nearly 100 if not over 100 events at 11 12 venues throughout metro detroit so we've grown dramatically we got a little hiccup with 2020 but we're back this year with probably a little over 35 films including some shorts um, at multiple venues in person and virtual starting next wednesday september 22nd and going all the way through september 26th that's that sunday so five days and and lots of great films what what are some of the the, the highlights some of your favorite uh, not that a Maybe maybe you shouldn't say you have favorites because I'm sure you like them all. They wouldn't be in the festival. Well, what are some of the highlights? Well, I mean, I think one of the things um, that we kind of pride ourselves on and is a kind of core to our mission is that we are um, we're really looking for films that we think are relevant or resonate here in Michigan in the Midwest. Um, and in this year in particular, because we contracted a little bit to kind of deal with or cope with or manage whatever this pandemic has 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 wrought for events. This is a very Michigan-focused film festival. I'm really excited that a lot of the films or filmmakers have their roots here. So, yeah, there isn't a favorite, but there are definitely some that have some really strong Michigan roots um, that I'm really excited to bring uh, to the festival. Well, I want to – there's two, two of them that caught my eye, Kathy, that I definitely want to watch are Becoming Cousteau, about Jacques Cousteau. Um, but there's no, there can be no more Michigan Detroit centric film than Bobolo Boats, a Detroit fairy tale. By the way, fairy F E R R Y tale. Extra credit for that title. Yeah, they're they're both great films. Obviously, you know the Cousteau film doesn't necessarily have a Michigan connection, but there are certain films that just they don't have geographic boundaries. I mean, I think there's a certain generation of of folks. And Sean, I just wanted to say before I before it gets too far afloat here, you said 30, 40 years. You, that's not fair. I've not been at the free press that long. Um, I, I've you started only, when you were negative 10. Negative why. 10, yes, exactly. Um, but there's a certain generation of people that grew up watching, you know, Cousteau on, on the TV as he explored the depths and brought the world of oceans and ocean life and, and, and later in his career, obviously, conservation uh, to the forefront. So that film is, um, is I think, going to be really near and dear to a lot of people that remember him from that era. And it's beautifully shot, and there's a lot of great archival footage of him, and it tells the growth of him just being, you know, somebody who wanted to explore the ocean to somebody who really wanted to start protecting the ocean. So I'm very excited. Um, that's premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival. I think that's going on this week. Um, it just played Telluride, and then it's coming and having its Michigan premiere here, which is really exciting. And yeah, the Bablo boat, you know, that is something, again, a, a specific generation of, of Detroiters have a deep, deep connection to Bablo Island, that amusement park that, that sat on the Canadian side of the Detroit River, um, you know, as you hopped on those steamships and, and headed down there. So many of us have those memories. I was fifth grade uh, class trip, my first trip to Bablo, and still has an indelible mark on my heart. I will say that I did spend all my money playing the the Carney games and I was thinking my parents would be mad that I was going to come home with 
nothing but like stuffed animals and cheap plastic trinkets. And so I started selling them on the boat on the way back home. So I thought if I could get a couple bucks, it wouldn't look like I'd spent my whole stash. So that's my Bablo memory. But it's a great film um, that looks at these two boats and their endearing legacy here and what happened to them. People know that there's been tragic tales of these boats. One is, you know, in definite disrepair and in need of a lot of love, despite some of the best efforts here locally to kind of resurrect it. And another one headed to New York to be a, a you know, a real life ship again um, through a lot of efforts uh, by a New York-based group. And so it kind of looks at the history of Bablo boats, the Bablo Island, um, and these these groups' efforts to make these boats come to life. And the cool thing is it's narrated by Martha Reeves of the Vandellas. So it's a very Detroit, Detroit story. Well, that's 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 really cool, and those both those both those films sound uh, really fabulous. And you know, Kathy, it's funny you were joking about thirty, forty years. I, going back for a second, I can't imagine because I know you went to Michigan State. I hope you don't mind that we're going to divulge that here. Nope. And you start you started off you started off as a shooter, a photographer. Yep. And then and then got into picture editing. But I I, I can't imagine you ever thought that you would be doing what you're doing now, overseeing a, a film festival, overseeing all the video. That you have just at the free press the the, the shorter documentaries that, that we started out with remember we would i can remember being involved in a, a couple of them 15 years ago you know three four minute videos just from your perspective why do you think that's that's mattered in ter- for the for the the free press and just our business in general because we, we you know we were just print and we're digital but just the the way we've i mean we're doing a podcast right here with tad davis who's our producer came to us from michigan radio and and National Public Radio, and here you are on a free film festival. So it's just, it's kind of amazing where we're at and where we're headed. But what, why do you think it's uh, so important that we diversify like that? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, our audience is is fractured, you know, and they're um, they're coming at us from different places. And I think you have to meet people where they are. But in more importantly, you know, we as a news organization, and this was some of Steve's thinking when when we hatched this idea oh, so many years ago is that, you know, instead of just covering the community, maybe we can be a part of the community and and in a new and impactful way. You know, I think a big part of what the film festival does, not only bringing great films for, you know, uh, Michiganders to come and see, but uplifting the filmmaking community. You know, we, as we've contracted as as a news organization and as an industry as a whole, you know, we realize we can't be the authors of all these stories that are out there, even though we, our best efforts and intentions is to tell great stories at the Free Press, which we do every day. We're not everywhere to be able to tell every story. And I think these films help tell the fuller Detroit, Michigan story that the Free Press, you know, can't always do. And so we're adding, not only are we uplifting, we're adding these voices to the dialogue, and we're also engaging, you know, our readers and our audience in a very different way. And I think it's a way that's beneficial, you know, to us as an organization in terms of our brand. But then also, you know, again, a lot of these films are small filmmakers, you know, not small, but they're local. They maybe don't have, you know, the, the, the muscle behind them that, you know, some of the big time documentary filmmaking crews have. And this is a way to, you know, give them a bullhorn that that is substantially larger than they may have had um, on their own. What do you think about that, Carlos, this idea of the the free press or just newspapers in general need to be needing to be maybe part of their community in a different way instead of just writing and, and taking pictures and covering their community? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not a new thing. I mean, a lot of different newspapers around the country have sponsored film festivals or book events. I know that when I grew up in L.A., the 
the LA Times had a huge um, book event every year, and they they brought in authors, and they had you know uh, uh, sales, and it it was really great. Um, and that's that's part of you know, like Kathy said, you know, being part of the community, you know, giving people a platform, I guess, because you can't be everything, you can't be everywhere. Um, but it's great. It's it's like you know we're, we have to be a fabric of the community in as many ways as we can. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. Kathy, um, before we let you go, um, what, what about the rest of your, your mission? Aside, and I know the, free film, the film festival takes up a lot of your time, maybe most of your time, but what about the rest of your mission? What exactly is that in, in your role at the Free Press today? Um, that's a big question, Sean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> explain your explain the reason for your existence. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you, no, we no have, because you, but you've been you've been so involved in in the photos and and choosing the photos and choosing the way our our paper looks digitally and in print for so long. And I'm, I'm and I know that's evolved some, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, where where, where you're headed f- from here. Well, I mean, I think I think one of the important things that photography and video can do um, for a story is that it, it enhances and, and brings a different perspective to the audience uh, in a way that words just can't sometimes, right? And, you know, it reflects, it's a mirror onto the community. We hope that we reflect the community through our photo and video storytelling. We think we can bring a unique perspective, help people see the world in a way that they maybe didn't think about or bring emotion and moments and, you know, maybe inspire people to, you know, want to get involved in a community event or want to support something or, or enlighten and inform. Um, and photography and video do a, a great job of that. And that's kind of our mission in the photo department is, you know, to tell great visual stories in any medium that's appropriate. And, you know, be it photography or, or be it, you know, um, the video journalism. So, you know, and I think part of the, the film festival is just an outgrowth of that type of journalism. You know, there are some great stories that, you know, we're going to get to, the audience is going to get to see that they may not have even known was out there. I mean, I, I think it, I'd like to mention just a couple of things that we'll be showing in the festival that I think are just beyond Bablo, which is, you know, obviously it's it's a crowd pleaser and a crowd favorite, but we've got a great story about Ray Parker Jr. And I don't think a lot of people realize, you know, they, they remember him from the Ghostbusters theme back in the mid 80s. But Ray grew up here in Detroit and went to Northwestern High School. And, you know, at 18 years old was was touring with Stevie Wonder and then went on to write like some important seminal hits, not only with his own band radio, but like wrote Mr. Telephone Man by New Edition, which once you have that in your ear, you'll never, it's the earworm that will last for a week. But it tells his story of growing up here in Detroit, his, you know, how he was impacted, you know, by the 67 Rebellion and his love of music and how that grew out of Detroit and went on to inspire him so that when Ivan Reitman called him and said, I need a theme for this Ghostbusters movie, what do you got? He came up with this indelible seminal hit, you know, that still echoes today. He said like, and Ray's going to be here. Like the native son is coming home and, and you know, people will get to meet him at the Redford on Thursday night. And so, you know, there are a lot of great Detroit stories and Michigan stories coming out of the festival that, again, I think it are based in just important stories about important people that are, you know, have had impact here or are having impact here. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to admit this, but I'm hoping you will to Carlos and, and uh, to our listeners in all your time at the Free Press. You've never had more fun than when you were in New York in 2000, I want to say nine. And we were there for the Webbies. Yeah. 
And we went to a cocktail party afterwards, and Questlove, I think, was playing the drums. And I think he was just DJing. Oh, was he? Oh, he was DJing. Yeah. And I and I would go, you know, whatever you if you wanted a little, uh, you know, canapé or a, a plate of cheese or whatever, I would go fetch it for you. Yeah. That that was the best. That was the best time you've ever had at the Free Press, right? I was basically your your valet. Yeah. I'd well, and you know, <laughs> I expect that from you. You're you're good at fetching me glasses of wine. <laughs> well, I try to be that. I try I try to be that for Carlos. But, but real quickly before you let you go, freep.com, right, Kathy? Uh, freepfilmfestival.com. Oh, for, oh, sorry, sorry, freepfilmfestival.com. Okay, I've just I've seen some stories on freep.com about it, so maybe that's why I was confused. Although I confuse I confuse easily. We know that. As 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 you know, as Carlos. <laughs> well, well, listen. Thank you so much for for giving us some time. I know you're you're really busy. Hopefully. Uh, we will see you down the road. I don't know. It's it's probably time to eat a coney again, isn't it? Yeah, Sean, get downtown. Yeah, I will, Kathy. Yeah, and uh, and of course, and of course, I will order, and and you will sit, and I will bring it over to you. I would appreciate it. Okay, okay, all right, everybody. That was Kathy Kiliszewski. Oh, real quickly, Kathy, your title, official title. Uh, for the Free Press, it's Senior News Director for Visuals, and for Free Film Festival, it is Artistic Director. Sounds fancier than it really is. Okay, you heard it from Kathy. Thanks again for joining us, and we will be right back. Hi, my name is Phoebe Wall Howard, and I am an automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. This year, we have covered an incredible range of stories, people, products, business trends, everything about cars and the people who design them, as well as the people who buy them, whether it's the Ford F-150 all-electric Lightning or the Mustang Mach-E, the hot little Maverick, or a profile on the chief engineer, Linda Zhang, who plans to transform the industry with her vision of electrification. We also do profiles of executives behind the scenes, how things come to be, and in the case of Ford Motor Company, why Oreo cookies played such a major role in the development of truck design. Many, many people reach out and ask, how can we support your work or how can we read more about this? And one of the easiest ways is to subscribe to the Detroit Free Press. We are the most reasonably priced in the whole country. For $1, you can receive six months of digital access for all of my work and that of my team on the autos coverage, as well as news, politics, education here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to freep.com backslash special offer. Thanks so much. All right, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, I just want you to everybody to know during the break, Carlos was just telling me that Coney's suck because I guess it's not a, a Berea taco that he you know he gets in L.A. or whatever. Come on, man. What do you mean they suck? Do you want to defend they're yourself, just, explain yourself? They're just chili dogs. That's all they are. They're just it's just a, a concoction of someone's and branding. a taco is corn and a taco is corn and beef with onion and cilantro and lime and okay maybe a little bit of roasted tomatilla and that sounds really delicious but <laughs> damn it man what are you saying hey, about the hey, conies i love i love hot dogs i love chili dogs but conies this whole coney thing there's whole restaurants built around them every time and you know this sean when people come here visiting sports writers visiting journalists they're like what is the deal with these conies and we tell them well they it's kind of a detroit thing they haven't eaten at lafayette uh, oh come on 
is really is there a, okay you tell me you're the connoisseur what's the difference between lafayette and american i mean i like both. this i like the i like the I, uh, american is good too but i like the snap at i, I like the chili a little bit better at, at lafayette i like the, the 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 steamy softness of the bun but i like the snap of the dog man mm. you know what i mean it's just I, plus, I love the way the, the the guy. There's one guy in particular. He's been there all 20, 30 years. I've been going maybe twenty five years. Not that I eat him all the time, by the way. I, I like to watch him put the mustard and onions on it. You know, it, anybody with muscle memory for anything, good. It's fun to watch, even if it's the dude who's just sort of laying out the mustard and the onions in like two, a second and a half as he's got the tray stacked up his arm. You know what I mean? But it's the you snap of the dog, dude. Come on. Well, I'll put my I'll put my L.A. Wiener Schnitzel chili dogs against Coney dogs any day of the week. There are no Germans out in L.A. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's all made up, just like Coney dogs. Oh, I see. So no, but you probably go to Disneyland to get a little Wiener Schnitzel with a hot dog on it. Uh, maybe that, or hate. maybe maybe that's a Vegas thing. I don't know. Don't don't hit on the Disney food. It's it's not that bad. No, I know, and I and I actually love tacos, and I probably prefer tacos over to, to chili dogs. But dude, sometimes there's nothing like a good coney. You, yeah, you, two a.m. on a Friday when you've had no, a little too much to drink. No, yeah, okay, fine. No, man. How about at eleven a.m. when you're hungry and it's lunch? You know, right? I, I know it's not the healthiest thing, but if you limit yourself, nah, they're fine. If you do it in moderation, I think you're okay. All right, in any case, it's it's time to put you on the couch. We probably should have started there because of your hatred for for Coney's, my God, man. But uh, let's let's get you on the couch. It's the hype. It's the hatred for the hype, not okay. the Coney's themselves, just the hype. It's time for Carlos on the couch. And this time the subject is going to be the Lions. I God, man. Where do you where do you want to start? They they lost again. Uh they they made it a game late against San Francisco. San Francisco's really good. Uh, you you know it's a Rorschach test, right? You can you can look at the first thirty eight minutes of that game or thirty five or whatever, and say they sucked and they stunk, which they did, and they fell down what thirty eight to to ten was it thirty eight ten? I can't even remember. And then made it a game late, and or you could look at the last couple of minutes and the fact that they had the ball with a chance to, you know, tie, with uh, twenty seconds left in the game. So which side do you fall on, and do you feel for these fans at all? Or is this a little bit different here? You know, I you know the, the game the game was actually um, if you look at the the you know the score right the the, the win loss kind of thing whatever the uh, the level of competition the never give up kind of thing you know I think the Lions did a good job you know I nobody expected them to win that game um, and I think the way I looked at it was uh, they gave the fans a lot of fans started leaving you know somewhere in the fourth quarter. I think when they went down 38-10. And then they came back and they made a game of it. So it was exciting. It was loud at Ford Field. But I think the way I looked at it was the things that they were supposed to do well, they did well. They had a good run game. The offensive line held up, even with Taylor Decker out. Uh, And TJ Hawkinson had a really good game. So it's good to be able to rely on those kind of things when you're starting a rebuild, I think. The the things you're supposed to do well, you do well. Good start. Okay. So maybe maybe – you don't need to be on the couch as much, or maybe you do as as much as this Lions fans fan base. So when they're down, and I know they came back late, and that was that was kind of fun and it was exciting. But again, you, where do you get the stomach, the the will, Carlos, to be able to to handle the the, the psycho? What kind of psychological space can you go to? Why don't you pretend to be a Lions fan for a second here, and you see you see this unfold, and you're thinking, okay, another rebuild. They're down thirty eight ten, whatever. 
I don't know. I mean, how many games are going to go in? I mean, where, where do you go? How do you how do you make sense of this, man? Well, you know, the, I mean, obviously Lions fans have had 60 years of practice for this. So it's not like it's a new thing for them. Nobody, nobody, you know, who's reasonable thinks that they're going to have a chance to compete for the division or, or even win, what, nine games, right? Because there's 17 games now. So I, I think everybody's used, everybody's ready for this. It wasn't a sellout. Uh, you know, this is the first regular season game and in a couple of seasons that fans have been able to come to. I was a little surprised it wasn't a sellout. Um, there were a lot of San Francisco fans there, right? There were, and and I was a little surprised. But I think that tells you that, that just not that level of excitement for this team. Um, you know, and it's it's they're going to go through their growing pains. They're going to have... Uh, a lot of guys cycling through, young guys, uh, you know, draft picks, whatever it might be, free agents who come through. There's already been some injuries, uh, so I think fans are just—it's the beginning of a of a you know of a slow ride here toward hopefully rebuilding. And I think with the fans, the fan, the thing that really frustrates the fans is when there's. Um, management ineptitude, whether it's coaching, general manager decisions, you know, all that kind of stuff, contract things, you know, they don't want them to be missing on high draft picks. They want the young guys to develop and and, and contribute. That's the thing I think that fans are hoping for because they know it's going to be a couple years down the road until this team's like decent. Yeah, I know. It's just it's just the idea. And they it, look, it's one of those things where you know, right? And you know going in and you know it's a rebuild. And then when you see it again, even though you know it, and even though you know it's going to be a few years for maybe nothing again, just just it, it it's a triggering. It can be a triggering thing, right? You're right back at you're right back in that space. You're like, oh my lord! Well, they're going to get triggered again Monday night when they go to Green Bay because you're going to have a motivated Aaron Rodgers. They were embarrassed last week. Um, they're going to be looking to to put the hurt on somebody, and it's it's going to be the Lions' turn. I mean, we've seen this over and over in Green Bay, obviously over the years, but um, it's you know that's the thing is you just don't want it to get ugly, you know. Keep it respectable, you know. Within you know whatever it is, you know, a couple touchdowns, you know, ten points. That's I, I think we were talking about this that there's no such thing as a moral win. Sure, there is. If you've ever been in a locker room, especially an NFL locker room. And you keep it close against a good team like the 49ers, you know, like the Packers. I think there's something that you take from that because it's not just the end, the, the final score. It's how you got there. You know, who played well, how you stayed together, whether you gave up or not, whether you kept competing, that kind of stuff. Um, so that there, there's different facets to, to winning and losing. And I think if they keep it respectable against Green Bay, it won't be that bad. Now, if they get handled... It's hard to take. It is. It is. It is. And what's also hard to take is that the number three pick from two years ago, Jeff Okuda, the cornerback, who struggled in his rookie year last year and who had a better camp and looked like he might be not ready to be any kind of star by any means. But he had he had a couple of okay moments before he got hurt uh, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, right? Well, he got burned too a couple of times. So obviously the struggles are still there. But he goes down with a with an Achilles injury, which you really feel bad for him. But also for the fan base too, just this God, like when are we going to catch a break, right? Absolutely, you know, and that, that's one of those guys. I mean, I think the fans, you know, the the real fan, Lions fans, kind of they've read enough and heard enough about him that the guy's just the model citizen when it comes to you know football player. You know, just as dedicated as you can be. Studies. He he's gone into this this off season. He started getting into like meditation and 
and you know um Amani Orarie, the other cornerback said he's like he's he's a transformed player so he's the kind of guy that you want to root for that that he's totally invested in in doing his best you know he had some injuries last year he had a groin problem there was some discussion of whether he actually needed surgery or not and uh, probably some disagreement there between the the team and him and his camp um but this year he was coming in healthy so even if he was even if he had a bad game against you know the 49ers whatever I, I wouldn't have expected that to continue I would have expected him to learn from that um I like their coaching staff right now the defense you know Aaron Glenn their defensive coordinator Aubrey Pleasant he was like very famous moment yelling at him on, on the sideline but also comforting him too you know kind of that tough love I would have I, I liked his chances and now an Achilles rupture for a cornerback, you know, they, it's brutal. I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to really be the player he could have ever been or, or stick around the NFL very long. I hope he does, but it's a, it's, it's probably a long shot. No, that was, it was a terrible blow, obviously for him first and foremost, but, but for the Lions too. And, and, and for Lions fans, I, I guess there were a few bright spots and we're going to, we're going to wrap this up here. Um, and I don't want to detail the game too much, uh, but I would just say that the, Looking forward, Carlos, the left tackle, the new left tackle, I don't know if he's going to be the permanent left tackle, the number seven pick of last year's draft, excuse me, this year's draft, Panay Sewell, my goodness, as a rookie going up against one of the best rushers in football in, uh, in Bosa, he, he he looked really, really promising. He held his own. He did a good job over there on the left side. And, you know, that was his position in, in college at Oregon was was left tackle. And they moved him to the right because Taylor Decker's on the left. So, yeah, it's 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 when Decker, you know, he should be coming back sometime probably in October off injured reserve with a finger injury. So, yeah, it's kind of going to be a maybe a good problem for the Lions to have of making that decision. Um, and you know what? I think that the I think the plan would be that you know they'll never broadcast this but you know Sewell plays on the right side Decker plays on the left when Decker gets closer to the end of his contract uh either they trade him or something and they move Sewell over to the left the left tackle is always the premier position so that may have been what they were thinking already um but it's good it's it's promising that that he first came out you know like you said Nick Bosa one of the premier you know uh edge rushers in the NFL and Bosa even told him after the game hey man you look more comfortable on the left yeah. side, because I think you watched some of his films. He did. So, he did. Uh, yeah, but it, yeah, good start. Good start for the kid. I mean, it, let's let's keep it going. Let's see how how much better he can do and grow. And and uh, it'd be interesting if he plays really well at left tackle. That that could be a little bit of an issue for the Lions when Decker comes back. It could. And it just and just think about the rest of the season. It, you know, obviously, again, we we'll have time to plenty of time. Probably too much time to talk about too many losses. But if they if they can stay plucky, boy, that's such a, a terrible word there. But it. <laughs> <laughs> you know they they did they had a little bit of a they had a little something to them it was hard to put your finger on even when they were getting blasted they they just they still were kind of hopping around a little bit and that that looked a little bit different and um if they can remain that way and stay competitive in in most of the games even if they lose most of them i i, I think and and you can see some improvement i think uh i think the fan base will stay with them uh at least to some degree so that's that that's probably the most promising promising thing I would I took out of uh, out of their first game. You know, Sean, I think uh, I think it was Newt Rockney who said we're going to keep him on the run, we're going to get him on the run, and stay plucky, boys. I think I think he ended it with that. So uh, that could be the rallying cry for the Lions. Stay plucky, stay plucky, stay plucky. And, well, and, if, and if they and if they actually win some games, you're going to be you know you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to know what to do with yourself. 
hey, hey, I was the pie in the sky guy who says six wins this year. And everybody's like, you're an optimistic fool. So yeah, maybe you, you know, don't need to be I, on the couch. Maybe I'm the one that needs to be on the couch. <laughs> or maybe Tad does, wondering what the hell he's gotten himself into. Having <laughs> to listen to, on the to couch. us for an hour each week, right? You want to be on the couch for Kathy Kay to bring you wine and cheese. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Tad's thinking he's going in to do, uh, what, he's working for NPR, right? All things considered, to do this long-form narrative st- storytelling, getting on This American Life, and now he's with these couple of bozos. I, I kind of feel bad for him. <laughs> in any case, uh, we are uh, moving on here to our our favorite thing. And, um, Carlos, I think you should go first, if, if that's okay with you. I mean, you should always go first in everything. I should always go last. I am the Eeyore of this group, this twosome. No, no, don't. This don't, podcast? No. You're the piglet. No, don't, <laughs> don't call yourself the Eeyore. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the piglet, okay. Well, I, I'm, not, <laughs> right. I'm not Winnie the Pooh, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, okay. So what's All your right. favorite thing, uh, man? Come on. Uh, so my favorite thing was a few days ago. So I'm a watch guy. I like watches. I like uh, learning about them, collecting them, wearing them, all that stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. Do you like stamps too? I don't like stamps, no. No, what about Legos? <laughs> my kids like Legos. They used to. Coins? No, no. Okay. I'm not a, no, no, no. Watch me. Oh, uh, hey, watches are cool, all right? They're not. You're, you're implying I'm a nerd or something. No, I'm not. I'm implying you're six. Yes. I'm old. I'm either really too old or too young. Um, anyway, so so watches, right? So, okay, uh, so fine. Watch okay, so you like watches. I hope this. I hope this story gets better. It get it gets okay. better. So my daughter comes up to me a couple of days ago, and she knows that I'm a watch guy. She says, "You know, hey dad, like, what's the deal with the watch makers for?" And wait, like, wait, wait. She says, "Hey dad, what else is she going to say?" Yeah, well, that's how she started. Hey, it's Carlos, did she, did she ever call you Carlos, bro, Mister Mister Menars? Hey, you. I usually I go by hey, you in the okay, house okay. normally. but Okay, so she but, says, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, what's up with the watchmakers for? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she starts telling me that there's this thing on watches and clocks that normally you see a Roman numeral and the four is an I and a V. But she said it's often represented on clocks and watches as four bars, as four eyes. And I'm like, Really? And so we look it up, and sure enough, she's right. On a lot of dials for clocks and watches, it's four single bars instead of the IV. And I was shocked. So she somehow heard about that or learned about it, and it was just really cool that it was something that, you know, like I consider myself a watch guy. I'd never noticed that. I don't have any watches with Roman numerals, but I'd never noticed that. So it was really cool to kind of share that with my kid that we went through a little like discovery and looked it up and why is this? And we started investigating it. So that's part of the fun of watches, by the way, is learning about it like like any any hobby. So, so you're training, that was my favorite. Thing. So you're training her to care about things that no longer matter in the culture. Does she like newspapers too? No, unfortunately. Well, well. What about not, typewriters? Not the traditional typewriters. Um, we have a really old typewriter that was my mother-in-law's and um, she's asked about it. We played around on it. So yeah, the mechanical things, how old things used to work. There's, there's heritage, Sean. There's, there's an important I know, I know. And, and maybe by, connection. Uh, and maybe by next week you will have taught her something about this century and that will be nice. <laughs> maybe. Unlikely. I mean, not that I, not that I want to, I'm in no position to tell anybody how to ever parent, but uh but no, that's a, that's a nice story, Carlos. Real quickly, my favorite thing. I was going to talk to you about a lasagna I made, but I, I didn't make the noodles. I didn't make the, the noodles from scratch. I didn't have, have time to do that. But no, it, this is going to sound kind of silly, but um, we, we talked to, at the beginning of the podcast about being a, a, listening to Harbaugh taking his headphones off and the noise and all that. 
And that was uh, on Monday. And the press conference was held right outside the Schembechler Hall on the campus over by the uh, athletic complex at, U- at University of Michigan. And that was the second Monday in a row. And for whatever reason, pulling up to the to the to park there to walk to that press conference felt like um, it was the it was the first time in a while. And maybe you experienced this with the with the training camp with the Lions, but the first time in a while that I'd been to back to back regularly scheduled in person events for my job. And I mean, you could say games or whatever; it, those are kind of all over the place, but. And I and I've often go to those Harbaugh press conferences. I live in Ann Arbor, and and he often has something to say. And Michigan's usually interesting, but I just I like the regularness of it, if that makes any sense. You know, it's the kind of thing that in the past you might have, and we've I know we've hit on this theme before, but in the past you might have thought, oh, do I need to go to another one of these? But you kind of missed them, and so to have them, to have that feeling pulling up of having something that you can count on and that's regular. And that's part of your your job in a way. It was uh, sort of comforting, and and I enjoyed that. And I thought, I can't believe I'm thinking about it this way, but there you go. Routines are important, absolutely. I think they're they're they very are comforting. routine. Good way to good way to put it. Good way to take a hundred words that meant nothing <laughs> and and say say it in three words. That you, maybe you should be my editor, man. Well, I, I've been doing this for thirty or forty years. Me and Kathy Kay, so. Oh, yeah, I know. I was waiting for her to respond to that. <laughs> she took way too long to respond to that. I think that I think that, that was fair at all. You know, she just kind of let that hang out there. But uh, in any case, Carlos, uh, I really um, enjoyed this as always. Uh, learn a little bit more about you. Next time, we might have to probe a little deeper when we get you on the couch. That sounds painful. Or pick a or pick a better subject where you know you're a little bit more tortured with. If that's okay, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. All right, my man. Any any last quick thoughts before we before we go here? Are you going to be in Green Bay? No. Yeah, I will be. I'm going to be at the Michigan Northern Illinois game, Northern Illinois game Saturday, with uh, Rocky Lombardi. Played uh, played for Michigan State. He's the quarterback for NIU. So that should be that should be interesting. And you'll probably be out playing golf somewhere. And until then, that is our our show for today. Our producer is Tad Davis who, by the way, did not say a word yet again. We'll have to work on that. Our executive producers are Anjanette Delgado and Kirkland Crawford. And let's give a, a special shout-out to the big guy, course, Peter Batia, the editor, editor excuse me, of the Detroit Free Press. If you like the show, leave a rating, subscribe, and share it. It really helps new listeners find the show. And we will see you next week. <laughs>